Again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. You know, I fell in love with metalworking, metal sculpture, and metal art. And then I started realizing that the metal museum itself is an extremely unique place. It, it, it's not a, a muse, just a museum per se, uh, because when I think of museums, I think of places where they display art, they preserve art. They show art, they have educational tours, but they don't really make art. They don't teach you how to make art. That's the voice of Richard Aok, the board vice president of Memphis's own Metal Museum. Richard was speaking to a crowd of Memphis College of Art alumni back in November of 2021 in the former home of the Arts College, Rust Hall in Overton Park. Rust Hall is the future and central home of the Metal Museum as it retains its spot atop the Chickasaw Bluff and expands its collections and programs into the landmark space in Overton Park. And that was so unique about this. We think of it as a three-legged stool. We have our museum function, which is the permanent collection and whatever shows we bring through. We have the teaching function, which includes not only the classes at the museum, but also uh, our programs that reach into the inner city, such as our Soulsville program, where we take, uh, take high school students, train them not only in how to do metalworking, but how to price their materials, price their labor costs, make art out of it, and then how to attach a price to their art and sell. Um, and we actually, uh, last year, had our first um, person that came through the Soulsville program get a scholarship from college. So, I get a little emotional about that. But, uh, but so, you know, that's what we're about. And if you can imagine the teaching opportunities we can have going from two little rooms in the old library and the, the foundry and the, the smithy we currently have to this building, what we can do with education in this whole area, with the region, with the world, because there's only, I think, two or three museums like the Metal Museum in the entire world. And so we are very excited to take over this space. I'm gonna turn it over to Carissa, who's gonna kind of walk you through our conceptual ideas of what we're gonna do with it. And thank you for being here. The occasion that night was both a discussion and a celebration. A night for Arts College alumni to reminisce in their old home and to hear about the Metal Museum's expansion plans from its executive director, Carissa Hassong. This is your host, Mark Fleischer. And I met with Carissa in late summer 2022 in the main exhibition space of the historic landmark 60-year-old Rust Hall to talk about not only the Metal Museum's expansion plans, but also about the uniqueness, the specialness, and even the magic of the Metal Museum itself. What do you find so special about both the Metal Museum itself and about the grounds? The people are what I think are so special. Um, Metalsmith, it's an institution that really was 
I mean, it was founded by fabricators, um, but it's also been a place where artists have really taken a very active role in continuing, um, continuing the vision and, and making everything that we do possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, Repair Days is just a classic example. Repair Days started the first year the museum opened. They had it twice the first year and decided never to do that again, which I completely understand. Um, it's a huge endeavor, but you know, it's, it's an event where metalsmiths pay their way to Memphis. They come here and then they work for free to raise money for the museum and then they give work to the auction. And so it's an it's a, you know, it's a gift of love. It's coming from this really special place. And that, that commitment, that generosity, um, that just belief in, in the institution makes it really special. And even the non-metalsmiths who volunteer and are part of it, it's just so much about giving and being part of a community. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just the other night it was, we had a staff event, uh, a dinner that was to celebrate the beginning of the new fiscal year. And we had little trophies that everybody, you know, got something special that kind of reflected their personality. And it just looking at this long table full of these really wonderful, caring, hardworking, fun people who, you know, care about each other, care about the museum, care about the artists and the artwork. It was just, it just reminded me of why I'm still here. And then you asked about what's special about the grounds. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful view. It's incredibly peaceful. I think it's also just so many memories. It kind of it goes back to that sense of community. It is this place that people have come together um, and had these, you know, created these special memories. So, I mean, it's, it's both the beauty and just sort of the embodiment of the museum. Reflecting on what I've learned about the museum, I asked Carissa about the many programs the Metal Museum has to offer. So we are a traditional museum and we have exhibitions are two major... It's a long list. Um, and a reminder that, as Richard Ayok said at the outset, that this museum isn't just a museum. Its many programs include, of course, exhibitions of master metalsmiths and future metalsmiths, themed exhibitions, and a permanent collection featuring the works of artists and collectors. The museum's offerings include educational programs with activities and tours and intensive metalworking programs and even blacksmithing and welding workshops. The Metal Museum holds annual conferences, offers after-school programs, provides resident apprenticeships and internships. As I said, it's a long list. And when one considers the breadth and depth of these programs, I get the impression that in its current location, the museum is almost bursting at the seams, ready to accommodate more visitors and more students for their various programs. The grounds are, they're, they're beautiful. There's something very spiritual I, I find about the grounds. Um, 
there's just really something about the space itself, not to mention the incredible view of the river. However, it has challenges, the location. Talk a little bit about the challenges. Well, I mean, there are a number of challenges. The location being probably the biggest challenge. It's off the beaten path. You have to want to find it. It's very rare that you stumble across it. Um, there is no way to get there with public transportation. It's not easy to bike there. You can't walk there. Um, there have been a number of times when we've had tourists walk there, and this was before Uber and Lyft, so taxis aren't easy to get either in Memphis, so we would often drive people back into town because they realized that they really didn't need to be walking back. Um, so it is challenging to get there, and you have to, to want to get there. There's also the fear of missing the exit and going to Arkansas and adding another 20 minutes to your trip. Um, it's also, you know, it's not the easiest, um, even if you know how you're, get, how you're getting there, the, the traffic can be difficult, you're fighting trucks and it can be a little dangerous. So that is one aspect of the location that makes it difficult. The second is we're landlocked. Uh, we have a little over three acres, so there's not a lot of room to grow. And the buildings are old and they weren't designed to house artwork. Um, and so when I started, we, I mean, it was obvious we needed, and you know, Wally knew it too, that we needed to have um, an elevator and to really meet some of those um, ADA codes that we just couldn't. And so looking at what it would cost to add an elevator to the building, and then if you add an elevator, you're also losing space, exhibition space, and sort of just the, you know, the domino effect of one change. Um, and so we really early on started looking at what are our campus needs, what do we want the museum to be. We did a survey. We worked with LRK and they did a, a survey of our audience and everything was more and more and more. You need more gallery space, you need more classroom space, you need more collection storage, you need more outdoor exhibition space. And so we looked at the camp, the existing campus and what it would take to do all of those things. And there were other things that we considered as well. I mean, everything comes through the front gates. So that's kind of an issue because you've got trucks, the dump truck comes through that gate, you know, and all of our visitors come through that gate. And so, you know, they're just issues with the flow of, you know, how do we separate some of these functions? How do we make sure that everybody's safe? We don't have a loading dock. Um, and there are times when we can't even get the crate with artwork in it through our door yeah. into the museum. So we're uncrating things outside. Yeah. Um, so there's, there were just all of these issues that we needed to contend with, as well as just wanting the more, the wanting more space. There was also just kind of very functional issues that we were trying to address within the current location. And so we came up with a plan 
to build two new buildings. We would have taken down the um, artist residence, which was the junior officer's quarters, and it might not have been a very popular move that might have gotten us into trouble. And we were going to replace the current metalworking facilities with a new building. And that was going to be 50,000 square feet of new space, and it would have completely changed the look and feel of the current location. And so we were kind of grappling with how do we do this? How do we get what we need um, without kind of destroying this really beautiful location? And also, if we do all of this, we're still located someplace that's really hard to get to and are people gonna come? Yeah. And so it was just, it was a hard position to be in and there was no easy solution for that location with the growing needs that we have. When, or do you remember, when the idea of Metal Museum and Rust Hall became something? Well, I, I remember very vividly when it was suggested to me. Um, I was at Bosco's with Jackie Nichols, and we were catching up, and he just kind of blurted it out. Have you thought about Rust Hall? And I probably looked at him like he was insane, and I said, no, why would we do that? We have this location. And I pretty much just dismissed the idea. And then it was brought up to me again um, by someone else, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't completely dismiss this idea. Um, there may be some potential here, but I just really struggled with it because in my mind, it was leaving the bluff. And I didn't think we could do that. I mean, I know we couldn't do that. There's just so much history with it. And I knew that I would, it wouldn't go anywhere with the board. It would fall flat. We have, you know, we have to be committed to the space. And it took me about two weeks of kind of going back and thinking about it to realize that we could utilize both spaces. And so one of the things that we had done or have done over the years off and on are artists in residencies. And so I think Wally probably did more than I did or that have happened since I've been there because I really wanted to focus on the apprenticeship program and the internships because I felt like there are artist residencies all over the country, all over the world. We need to do something that nobody else is offering. And that was our apprenticeship program. And I really don't think there are a lot of opportunities for internships for undergraduate students as well. And so being committed to doing that, knowing that we could provide something that you couldn't find elsewhere was where I thought we needed to focus our resources. Um, and so the people kept coming back to me saying, you know, we would, I would love to do a residency. There aren't opportunities for this. I don't have access to this kind of equipment elsewhere. And I realized that what was unique about our program was that you had access to a fully equipped shop. 
most artist residencies, you get an empty studio and you fill it. And if you're a metalsmith, that's a really expensive endeavor. And so what a residency program would do, what our residency program would do or was doing for artists was it was allowing them to go someplace and create something either for an emerging artist that's creating, being able to cre create something that they couldn't otherwise because they don't have access, they can't afford those, that equipment and those tools and that kind of space. So they could go someplace, spend a year, build up a body of work, really get that experience and take that with them. But if you're an established artist, you maybe don't want to spend a year or you know, a program like Penland is a four-year residency. You don't have the time to do that. Maybe you want to take two weeks. Maybe you want to take a month, maybe three months. What we would have to offer then is that space where you just have to bring your favorite tools and you can come do that without having to make a huge investment to move your equipment. And we've had artists, I mean, we've had artists from recently from Russia. We had an artist who was here for a little over a month worked in our shop, taught a master workshop, um, really had a great kind of exchange. And that's something we can, we can offer. Um, so thinking about an artist residency program and really doing a true program, not just kind of makeshift here and there when we know the artist and it makes sense and maybe have a little extra space. Um, we could do that program at, rest, at, at our current location, at the Bluff Campus, because, um, A, I mean, it's already set up. We just, it's there, and it's a much better use of the buildings. We can easily convert the museum building back into housing. We also, the location no longer became an obstacle, you know, we still want to have the program to have the ability for people to interact with artists and be able to enjoy the grounds, but we don't have to really push everything through programming to get people to that location. Um, and it's, you know, it's off the beaten path. It's perfect for an artist who kind of wants to escape a little bit, but, you know, Beale Street is right there, downtown Memphis. It's so easy to, to hop on I-55 and get somewhere else in the city. So you feel isolated but you're not. And so I think it really was the obvious, it, it just was, it, it was easy to think about that space becoming an artist residency and kind of taking it back to its origins of really being about the artists and kind of being kind of secluded and creative and you know, about, truly about the, gr the grounds, the view, and these buildings, and really preserving that. It kind of feels like we're going back to the beginning of the museum and being able to preserve that while providing something that's really needed in the metalsmithing community. And then Rest Hall just made sense from a, a programmatic standpoint. It was really easy to understand how what we do as a museum and as a teaching institution would fit into this space. You know, it was 
obvious where things could go and it um, it also brought us to a location that was just much easier to get to. I'm just thinking about our after-school program um, for the high school students. We offered them the opportunity to take any class they want to for free at the museum, but they had to get there. And so very few of them really took advantage of that opportunity because they didn't have the ability to get to the museum. And so just thinking that about that one program out of all of the other programs we do, that one program, how much more we could be able to do here because those students could get here on their own. They could ride their bike, they could take the bus. It might be easier for their parents to get them here because it's not you know, so far away. Um, and so it, it was just all of those opportunities that really began to make sense. And when I started talking to other people about it, with that idea of the keeping the bluff location, a lot of them quickly got it and got really, were just immediately excited about the potential for those two spaces and what it meant and just how, what it could do for the, for the metalsmithing community, going back to that sense of community, but really taking it to the, to the next level. I think it's something that the, the metalsmithing community deserves. I mean, there are a lot of you know, great glass museums. There are museums dedicated to ceramics and other art forms, but there, there is no other metal museum. And I think to have a home that reflects the quality of our collection, reflects the quality of the work that we're doing, um, and also allows us to, to teach more, to just bring more opportunities to the community. We don't teach jewelry making classes for the most part because we don't have the classrooms and the facilities and the studios to do that. And so this opportunity just allows us to do everything we've wanted to do, um, to really expand our programming, and to also have the space that you know, our exhibitions need, that um, our education program needs. It, it feels like from my perspective, when I, when I first learned about it um, and, and heard the idea of the Metal Museum expanding here, it just, it was, like, like you said, the reactions that you got from various folks was, it was immediate, of course, of course, you know, especially with everything you just mentioned, logistical challenge you have, challenges you have at the bluff, the limitations, the, the, the structures themselves, um, it just, it makes, it just makes perfect sense. It, it almost feels now like how could it not be? So there's also that part of it. Park partners. The Shell, the Zoo, over in Park Conservancy, the golf course. I don't know if they factor into this at all, but how important have, in the Brooks, how important have Park Partners been to this process? Well, 
Overton Park Conservancy has been incredibly supportive. Um, yeah, I've been, they've been part of the whole selection process of who would take over the building and they've been very open and um, yeah, open about issues in the park, including us in, um, on the board and partners meetings um, and just re you know really wanting to see something happen here and they've been great and we do have space identified in the building uh, for the park to have really kind of a public face within within the park itself um, obviously they will eventually move on but it's a great way for us to be able to share something with them and have a kind of future space for growth um, i envision eventually our education pro program will take over that space that's the staff grows um, so they've they've been really wonderful and natalie with overton park shell has been incredibly supportive um, she tells me all the time she can't wait for us to be in here. But, you know, she, she's interested in being able to program the auditorium here, but also ways that we can maybe share security or um, kind of co-sponsor events. What are ways that we can help each other um, drive revenue and partner on different events and things. So I think that there... Well, we're not talking about all of those things right now. What would that programming look like? I think there are a lot of opportunities to work with OPC on programming, um, coming up with kind of joint educational pro projects. We just haven't, yeah, you know, I, I kind of need to get into the building first. I need to get the funding raised and um, get the construction started. But I think there is a lot of excitement about that. I think that there'll be a lot of opportunities to find ways to to work with the zoo as well. I mean, we have done a number of projects for the zoo over the years. So I do think that those opportunities are there, but right now we're, we're kind of focused on getting here. Speaking of that, this is a, this is a 60 year old building. Um, before you can move move in <laughs> there's some deferred maintenance right so what's what's that look like right now well there's deferred maintenance and just also what we need is different from what an art school needed so you know it's a lot of what the deferred maintenance is we probably would have had to have made investments anyway so it's also hard to say exactly what that budget is. It's a moving target right now with COVID and, you know, the war and just supply chain. It's, prices have increased. So it, we're trying to figure it out. Um, but we're, we need to raise 25 million to start construction. And that should cover all of our needs as far as um, getting into the building. But it has been a moving target. Um, just 
with surprises too, you know. There are always surprises with old buildings. Um, but it's, it is quite a bit. I mean, we have to put in a new elevator. We're taking out one of the staircases to put in a new elevator so we have an elevator that's big enough for our exhibitions. Um, a lot of glass replacements. Um, but we are also really reworking the ground level um, so that we can have our collection storage there, have classrooms, um, have those fine metal studios as well. So, and then also we are taking down the additions. There was an addition in the 70s that housed the um, metalworking, ceramics, and woodworking studios. It's a nondescript building that really does not meet our needs for the blacksmith shop and foundry, so we'll be replacing that building. About It'll have about the same footprint, but it'll be a new building. And then we are also taking down the 80s addition and adding additional parking in that parking area. When you approach the architects and the design team, and the design team is again... Why workshop um, out of LA and one of the reasons that I think we were really interested in them um, was the fact that they had experience working with transforming mid-century modern buildings into art centers so they did the Marciano Center um, which is no longer open but I believe it was a Masonic temple that was converted into a museum. And then they just did, I think it's called the Cheech, um, Cheech Marin's new museum. Um, that was a library originally that's now been um, transformed into an art center. So they had that background, but they've also worked with a lot of museums. And so I, they really did understand what we were hoping to do within this space. This, this location in the middle of Overton Park and you know the backyard if you will is the Overton Park shell, front yard is the greens word if you're if you're looking at it that way. What was the overall theme when it came to this is what we need to do with the space from the design team from the work with with the with you all what was that, what did that, in a few words, do you remember exactly what was, what approach was taken? But what was the overall vision? It really was about preserving and respecting the architecture, but also kind of addressing the problems that the building has had. And so that was sort of the vision with the, this main with Rest Hall itself, with this particular part of it, and then having kind of this new, like a high-end metal shop. I mean, it, you know, just sort of thinking about all of the things that we would want to have, but also having kind of a, a unique um, vision. So it was sort of, that was always sort of the area where they could make more of a statement, um, but something that complemented the building without mimicking the building. And so that was always sort of that, um, that kind of guiding force of how they, they wanted to approach it.
But I think, you know, one of the key elements to me that we needed to achieve was to really have the building be welcoming. And I think that that's, being committed to that was something that we always discussed because the building has not been welcoming for a long time. And we really want to be part of the park. We want park users to feel like they are welcome to come up the stairs, to come into the building, to use it. And I, again, it, it was a function of the fact that it was a school and you need to keep your students safe. But it, I think it just made this building seem very inaccessible. Um, and we really want to change that. And we want it to be approachable from both the front and the back, as you mentioned, kind of the rear of the building. We don't want it to be thought of that way. We want it to be facing the brooks and facing the shell and kind of creating the sense of community in this campus. Um, but we also want people to be able to come in easily. Um, right now, the um, ADA entrance is dark and dirty and kind of scary and not to code. And we want to change that. Describe a couple things that are really unique about the design and what patrons can anticipate. When a visitor enters, and I do think that the visitors will mainly enter from the new entrance on the ground level, you'll come in to a kind of wider lobby area with the auditorium, the existing auditorium on the ground floor will be to the left. To the right, you'll be able to see into our collection storage and get a little bit of that behind the scenes look at how museums operate. And then you'll also be able to walk up um, the existing staircase in the building, which is very distinctive. And it's almost as if the whole building is kind of built around these stairs and then come up into this really open lobby. Um, and you know, you asked earlier about kind of the, the theme, um, the vision for the architecture and the renovations. And one really key element is opening up all of these walls. So, so many of the walls and the windows in this building have been closed over the years to make the rooms, the spaces darker or to provide additional exhibition wall space. And one of the things that was so important to us is, you know, creating that welcoming space, but also creating a space or celebrating the existing space as a building within a park. And so being able to open up walls so you can always sort of get glimpses of the park from wherever you are in the building is something that we was really important to us and really exciting to really get that sense of, yes, I can, I can see Overton Park all around me. And so, you know, coming up the stairs and to this main level and really getting that view and that sense, I think it's going to be pretty magical. And then as you go up to the upper floors, 
it's kind of these almost little glass boxes that will be the exhibition spaces. We also wanted to make sure that people could leave those spaces and go out onto the rooftop terrace or onto those walkways that surround the the tower space. I, I don't know the best way to explain it, but you know that will that go around um, each level of the the towers and each at each level the park feels so different that view of the park is so different and so knowing that people can experience that is also something that I think is really important and will be really magical I imagine people coming to the museum who maybe don't care as much about the metalworking. I mean, of course they all care about the metalworking, right? But, Everybody you know, I think, <laughs> I think some people will come just to show off the views, that they will want to be a member or come visit the museum to be able to show their friends and family who are visiting Memphis this incredible yeah. view of Overton Park. Um, so I do think that that is something that's going to be really exciting for people when they come to visit. The other thing that I think is going to be pretty, um, I don't know, awe-inspiring or just another kind of great thing about the, the new design is that the, the, the new building will have a demonstration area that looks into the blacksmith shop and foundry. So it'll be this huge glass wall and you can look in and see everybody working, but still be at a safe distance. And then that demonstration area will be able to do forging and casting demonstrations in a space where we'll have ample seating. It'll be heated and cooled. It'll be very safe. Um, right now we, do demonstrations in our in the blacksmith shop and foundry and they're not um, climate controlled so it can be very hot and on days like this when there's a heat advisory we just don't do them so we'll be able to do demonstrations year-round in any kind of weather condition in a very safe place and then when we're not doing live demonstrations we'll be able to show video but I think that that is also going to be this kind of magical spot where you you're walking down a hallway and you know you're you're getting somewhere but then when you turn the corner and you can see into the studios i think that'll be really amazing now that you've gotten past uh, you know the, the the city signed a the lease it's a a hundred year lease mm -hmm. <laughs> um and i know the supply chain issues inflation everything that you described before is posing a challenge with you know what the timeline looks like but do you have any sense here in the summer of 2022 do you have any sense of a timeline okay i think it'll be about two and a half years we hope to have the additional the full 25 million raised within the next 12 months and then it would be 14 to 18 months of construction. So, you know, somewhere between two and a half and three years until we open the doors. Yeah, it is not move-in ready. A lot of people think it is. Um, 
they keep asking me, when are you going to open? But, um, oh, the other thing, kind of going back to, you know, talking about the building and the space and you having toured through it, um, a lot of people think they know the space because they've been in this. Right here, yeah. In, right here where we are right now. They know this space well. They've been to exhibitions and events. They've been to the Holiday Bazaar. And I think they can understand the vision of how the Metal Museum could you use the space. But it's always amazing to me how many people think they know it and then we take them upstairs to really understand what our vision is and and then they really get it. And that's when the excitement really happens, when it's just, they see it. Um, so doing those tours has been great because it's it's inspiring. Have you, have you had a moment to really get excited about this? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do. When, when you start really thinking about what it can be, and, you know, it's, as you said earlier, the views of the park that excites me. When I've toured people and just being able to stand out um, outside and look out over the park and then imagine going inside into these beautiful gallery spaces. There are times when maybe I'm standing in the gal our current gallery spaces and think about what the work could look like here. That was certainly the case with Kim Kreidler's exhibition, just imagining it having the space that you could actually walk around each of the objects instead of having things against the wall where you couldn't really fully appreciate the work. That's a moment that is exciting to me. It's also, we recently did a video, which I think you've probably seen, of our education programming. And it came out of a presentation that our director of education and outreach um, put together for a conference. And she asked me to just you know, watch her presentation, listen to her presentation before she gave it. And it was amazing to me all of the things that we were doing. And I just hadn't really, you know, there was, it was never in one place. Nobody had ever listed it. We weren't good about talking about all of them. It's hard because even when I was talking about education earlier, I forgot a key program. And um, we decided that we should do a video so that we could tell that story. And every time I watch that video, I get so excited about what we could do here. You know, if we could do that in the space that we have now, if we could do all of those programs we're currently doing, imagine what we can do with the space to do, to do more. And that really excites me as well. Just thinking about the classes we could teach, the people we could engage, the lives we could change. Probably those are the two things that are most exciting to me. But the education, I mean, and people have said, so what is your education program going to look like? And it's 
a little overwhelming to think about because we've been so restricted. You know, our education program, what we do is dictated by the space that we have. And in this, you know, when we're here, we won't have that limitation anymore. Yeah. The educational programs, I think, you know, for me, look on, on the outside looking in and talking with other Memphians, the educational part of it is something that people forget or don't even know about, mm -hmm. right? And you mentioned a key thing there, changing people's lives. Um, that can give someone, you know, from a disinvested community, a skill that suddenly changes their, their entire trajectory of their life, having that skill. All right. Thank you for sitting with me. Happy to do so. Thank you. My thanks again to my guest, the Metal Museum's Executive Director, Carissa Hussong, for sitting down with me in the museum's future home in Rust Hall, Overton Park. And to you listeners, you might want to check out the museum's repair days, coming up Thursday through Sunday, October 20th through the 23rd. Personally speaking, my first experience was just last year, and it's quickly become one of my favorite annual Memphis events. Visit their website at metalmuseum.org for more information. It's fun for the whole family, and it's really something you don't want to miss. You've been listening to Storyboard 30 from FM 89.3 WYPL. Thanks to our sponsors at the Memphis Library Foundation. And as always, thanks to WYPL producer Vance Durbin and to you listeners and supporters of the library and FM 89.3. This has been your host, Mark Fleischer, inviting you to join us next time on Storyboard 30 for more conversation with those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week. <laughs> <laughs>